Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 29. Actually, let's start at verse number 19, okay? The Bible says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. I want to do something totally different I haven't warned anybody about this, but I want to do something totally different today in the beginning introduction of this message. If you have been married 35 years or more, would you please stand? 35 years or more. Wow. Come on, let's applaud the warriors. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, amen. Now listen. Now listen. You can be seated for just a few moments. I would like about three or four of you all to come up here. About three or four of you. Come on. Just some of you that stood. If you'll come up here. And this is where I didn't warn anybody. And I did this on purpose. Come on. If you were one of them that stood and you've been married 35 years or more, would you please come up here. Bring your spouse and come on up here. All right. We're going to do something totally different here. First of all, Everybody that stood, I want everybody else to listen, especially the young couples. The people that stood just a few moments ago, they are your marriage mentors. I said they are your marriage mentors. I'm going to hand this mic down here to Rick and Charlotte. Here's what I'm asking from all of you guys. Just give us one thing that you think has helped you make it this far. And it's... And, 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 it's, and listen, you can't say Charlotte. All right. Jesus. <laughs> I of have course. to agree. Jesus. Of course. No, come on. Give, give us, give us a, uh, some marriage wisdom. Guys, do what she says and just don't worry about it. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> There you go. Pass the mic on down. Come on, you guys are getting in trouble. Okay. All right. Trust. All right. Marriage wisdom. Go ahead. You give 100%. That's right. Work together. Good. We share everything. Our kids, our grandkids, and we're getting ready to have a great grandkid. So we are very blessed. I'm surprised Effie didn't say dance. Yeah, Miss Effie likes to dance. Save that for the next one. <laughs> okay, oh, great. Boy. Um, hmm. 45 years now. Um, I believe it's submission and obedience. Oh, wow. I believe uh, a happy wife is a happy life. <laughs> <laughs> My husband and I have been married 54 years. Woo! <laughs> Communication and letting him think he's right. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest thing I can tell you is get rid of the word I. Uh Yeah, and it's sweet. All right, come on, let's give him some love. Come on, thank you guys. I did that on purpose today because I want you to understand that A great, long, successful marriage does not just happen. Just because you stand up here and say, 
I do uh, doesn't mean you always will or they always will. There are rough spots. There are difficult times. There are times when we have to work at it. But there are some foundation stones that I think need to be in place. I think the Bible teaches about those things. And today I want to talk a little bit about some of those foundation stones in the marriage. I'm taking some of those stones, the majority of those stones, out of uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 29. And uh, you're probably going to see a different twist on this scripture than uh, you have before. But uh, I would say this in the very beginning, and this is on your your, uh, little handout that we gave you. Building a strong marriage is more about becoming the right person than finding the right person. I said building a strong marriage is more about becoming the right person than finding the right person. So you say to me, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I mean, what you need to do is look at your spouse and think, what do they need from me? And then you become what they need. Because you want them to be whole. You want them to be healthy. Now, it's pretty easy for guys Because when the gal says, what does he need from me? There's just a couple or three things that we really need. Food. Food. Affirmation. And that other thing. (laughs) Psalms 11 and verse 3 says, if the foundation... Psalms 11... Hey, listen, we're talking about marriage. If the... If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is what Psalms 11 and verse number 3 says. And so today I want to talk about several foundation stones, things that need to be in place in order for us to have a long and healthy and strong marriage. The first foundation stone, obviously, and and Ricky hit it right dead on the head when he said this, the first foundation stone is that you must allow Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone to be the foundation of your life. In this particular passage, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 29, Jesus the Lord in some fashion is mentioned 14 different times. Just in Ephesians 5, 22 through 29, is found and mentioned 14 different times. So I think the Holy Spirit was speaking through the pen of the ready writers there, clarifying that he who is the chief cornerstone should also become the foundation stone upon which our successful marriage relationships are built upon. In fact, we can go to Psalms chapter 127 and verse number 1, and what does the Bible say there? The Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. So we work under God's direction. We work under His direction. And because of that, 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 then we can be successful. Now, I I want to say this. This is especially true when it comes to our marriages. Because if we want our marriage to be strong and to glorify God, and if there are to be a blessing to us and to our spouse and to other people then they have to be built, now listen very closely, they have to be built upon the bedrock of a strong and serious relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I really do believe that when you are searching for a spouse, that you should, you should find somebody who is so lost in God that you have to seek Him to see them. And so that's very important. That's very important that He becomes the foundation of our lives. Now the second foundation stone, and I'll spend a little time on this one, is the foundation stone of love. The foundation stone of love. Now there's different kinds of love, but the love that we're talking about today is a longer, deeper, more lasting love than anything you will ever see on soap operas than you will see in the movies. We're talking about a love that encompasses the whole entire man. We're talking about a love that encompasses the body and the soul and the spirit. And the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, addressed this kind of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. Now we're going to talk about what love is, what love does, the foundation stones. First of all, here's what the Bible says. Charity suffereth long. Charity is love, so love suffers long. 
So what does this mean? If I'm going to have this foundation stone of love in my marriage, then there are going to be times when I'm just going to have to stick it out and not retaliate. Because suffering long, the word actually means a patient endurance or long-tempered. In other words, it takes a while for me to get worked up. It takes a while for me to actually even want to retaliate. But the kind of love that we're talking about that will help a marriage last suffers long. You say, well, pastor, uh, you know, I just thought that everything was going to be... Listen, all of us have a bad day. Every now and then all of us have a bad day. Did you have a bad day before you got married? Then why do you think that's going to change? If you thought getting married was going to fix everything, (laughs) I give you about three hours after you got married and you will find out that it didn't fix everything. It didn't fix everything. You see, and so there are times when we just have to patiently endure. And then the Bible says in verse number 4 that not only does it suffer long, but the Bible says that love is kind. Now this word kind refers to active goodness. That means I'm trying to be good to them even when I don't feel like they deserve it. And if you've been married for more than a minute, there will be times when you wonder, Dear God, what in the world did I do? They don't deserve it. I'm just going to let it. Now listen, the Bible tells us to be kind. In, verse, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the Bible said, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. I would submit to you that that applies to our marriages too. We need to be kind and tenderhearted and loving and forgiving one another. So the kind of love that will keep a marriage together and not just keep it together because there's a lot of marriages that are together but they're not strong and they're not fulfilling. The kind that will keep a marriage together and keep it strong and keep it fulfilling is the kind of marriage where, and the kind of love that is kind. So this kind of love is not hateful or mean. Love is kind in words and love is kind in actions. Now... You say to me, Pastor, that sounds wonderful. You must have a wonderful marriage. Let me tell you something. I'm married to Donna. And she's married to me. And we're both strong personalities. And there has been times, I'm being very transparent here, that there has been war in the parsonage. And I'm not talking about squirt guns. Because you have two strong personalities. So what happens if harsh words are exchanged? Forgive and move forward. Get it behind you. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. So I told somebody yesterday, I told him, actually it was my uncle, I was overseeing him yesterday. I told him, I said, man, I said, most of the time when I'm putting together a sermon series and stuff like this, I said, it's pretty easy. I said, but this one's been some work, man. I said, I've had to unpack a whole lot of my own personal junk to preach this one. And he laughed and he said, I don't think there was ever a message. I preached I didn't have to unpack my own junk first. I'm like, well, you were a lot worse than I am. I said, no. But love is never hateful. Love is never mean. Love is always kind in words. Love is always kind in actions. And so if you deviate from that, then revert back to it as soon as possible. And then the Bible says that love envies not, which means that true love is not jealous. Instead of being jealous when others prosper and when they excel, then, then instead of being jealous, then, then love them. Love is pleased when people do well. And so love does not envy It's not jealous. And then the Bible says that love vaunteth not itself, and this literally means to make a parade of itself. And so love vaunts not itself, so that means it does not brag. It doesn't draw attention to itself or to what one is doing. And so, you know, honey, I I, I done the dishes for you. Oh, really? Well, my goodness, the sky has not fallen. Praise the Lord, you've done the dishes. Uh, well, you know, I do the dishes, and you just start bragging and bragging. No, 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 no. You don't do that. You don't, do, you don't brag. You don't, you don't vaunt things. You don't parade things. You don't, things like that. See, here's the thing. If God does something wonderful for me, then I need to bring Donna along and let her enjoy it with me. And if God does something wonderful for her, thank God at times she has brought me along and let me enjoy it with her. 
So we need to enjoy these successes together. We don't need to parade them in front of one another. Now, if you're teasing one another, that's one thing. You know, I got the last piece of cake, na-na-na-boo-boo, you know, or I got the last cookie. That's one thing. You're teasing one another. But I'm talking about it doesn't need to be a serious thing, okay? And then the Bible says that love is not puffed up. That means love is not arrogant and proud, and it doesn't demand to be number one. Listen to me, men. Listen to me. God took the rib from your side because she's supposed to walk with you through life. God did not take the rib from your back so she could walk behind you through life. Okay? Now listen very closely. Listen very closely, okay? Love is not arrogant and proud and it does not demand to be number one. If if we become one, then how is it possible for me to be number one in the relationship. So if we become one, then we're both number one. Okay, I'm not going to go any farther on that. Then the Bible says in verse number five that love does not behave itself unseemly, which means that love is never rude. It treats with compassion, with consideration, and with respect. And then verse number five, love seeks not her own. True love is never selfish and self-centered, but, it's, but it is actively interested in what will profit the other one. It never looks at itself first, but it always considers another instead of, its, of itself. If you want to have peace in your relationship, then focus on the other person. Focus on the other person. Try to meet their needs. And then verse number 5, true love is not easily provoked. True love keeps no record. This means it keeps no record of evils that are done to it, but it willingly endures slights and injuries, and that means that it is not perpetually irritable. In other words, not irritable all the time. Like I said, all of us have a bad day every now and then, but this means that it's not irritable all the time. Continuing in verse number 5, love thinks no evil. That means it doesn't take worthless inventory. Thinks no evil, doesn't take worthless inventory. So so this could mean a couple of things. Number one, in my research with this, I came across these two things. I thought it was good. First, it means that genuine love does not attribute evil motives to people. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And when you study that out where the Bible said that love covers a multitude of sins, that means it makes the sin appear as if it wasn't that large. I've shared this example before, but we have a lot of new people here, so I'll share it again. It's kind of like when you are a young father and you have children about that tall, and and I say children about that tall because I had twins about that tall, and you take them to the grocery store. How many of you know that the grocery store looks a whole lot different at this level than it does this level? How many of you know that grocers and marketeers know that? And so they put stuff at this level to appeal to the little people who walk down the aisles at this level. And so what happens invariably when you're going down the aisle, if you don't watch it, these little people that God has blessed you with will start taking things off the shelf and sometimes more than one thing at a time, kind of like that. So if they go down and they're walking down the aisle and they stick their arm in and they clear out about half of a shelf, then... Uh, The manager comes running, uh, somebody's going to pay for this. Well, the mama in you or the daddy in you says, now wait just a minute now, I'll help you clean that up and, and it's really not as bad as what it looks and we'll take care of everything. That's what that scripture means when it says love covers a multitude of sins. Okay? So... So we got to be careful about that. We have to understand that true love does not attribute evil motives to people. It actually is looking more for the best in them. Genuine love does not keep a record of the evils that are done forever. And, it, and, and, and if there's a grudge that is being held, it releases that grudge. And then we go on, and love rejoiceth not in iniquity. In other words, love does not rejoice in sin. Well, bless God, I'll do this whether they want me to do it or not. And, 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 and so the people become braggadocious about that. That's called pride. Pride and sin go together. And then the Bible said that love rejoices in the truth. 
So it rejoices when truth is proclaimed and when truth wins the victory. Love is glad for the truth even when the truth hurts. Love is glad when the truth wins the day. So we, we have those areas there. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. Seeks not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 to 29, the Bible tells us that the husbands are supposed to love the wives. And a lot of people look at this and it says, well, the Bible says that the wife is supposed to submit themselves to their husband, but there's no place where it says the wife is supposed to love the husband. Oh, yes, it does. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 4 says the wives are also supposed to love their husbands. So the Bible teaches us both that the husband is supposed to love the wife and the wife is supposed to love the husband. So we see these two foundation stones so far. We see the foundation stone of Jesus Christ. He has to be the center of our life. We see the second foundation stone of love. Now the third foundation stone of these relationships that I want to talk about today is called the foundation stone of loyalty. The foundation stone of loyalty. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 31, the Bible speaks of leaving and cleaving This is what God was expecting married couples to do in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24. And guess what? He's not changed his mind. He still expects when you get married that you are to leave father and mother and cleave to one another. Now when a man and a woman become married, there is a fundamental shift in their relationship to other people. When BJ and Angel stood on this platform yesterday about 4.15 and said vows to one another and about 4.30 or 4.45 we pronounced them as man and wife, the fundamental shift in their relationships changed immediately. His priority became Angel and Angel's priority then became BJ. Now you had wonderful people here. You had brothers, you had sisters, you had parents, you had relatives in the audience, but from that day forward, from yesterday forward, the primary person in each one of their lives becomes each other. Now, let me take this just a little bit farther. The relationship, when you get married, the relationship with your parents is altered forever. The relationship with your parents is altered forever. It can still be strong. But the marriage relationship has to have preeminence over the parental relationship. I'm going to say that again. The marriage relationship has to have preeminence over the parental relationship. What do you mean by that? That means the parents need to let go and so do the kids. And so do the kids. Now, I'm just being very transparent here, and Donna, Donna will, you know, she'll, she'll give me permission to do this, and we've talked about it before. When we first got married, Donna was an only child. And one of the things that frustrated me more than anything, and I'm not trying to embarrass her, we worked through it and we're fine now, but one of the things that really, really frustrated me so much was Donna would ask me something, and, then, and I would give her the answer, and then she would have to go check with her dad to see if what I told her was the truth or not. And seriously, that bothered me. I'm like, my goodness, I've been on my own for four and a half years. I've lived some life here. You're 18 and I'm 22 years old. We were kids, I know. You're 18 and I'm 22 years old, but don't ask me if you're... Why don't you just go ask him? You know? And so there there was a little little problem that we had there in the beginning. Now, thankfully, I think... That when she asks me something and I give her an answer, I think that she can pretty much take that at face value. Now, I said that to say this because, because, listen, ladies, if you can't trust him to be the leader of your home, for goodness sakes, don't marry the man. And if you can't trust her to be the kind of wife that you feel like that you need in your life, that God wants you to have in your life, for goodness sakes, don't marry her. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't have difficult times. Part of this, and in our case it was this way, part of this is just learning how to live with each other. I mean, everything's wonderful and great when you're dating. 
I mean, everybody needs to have a really good fight before they get married at least once, you know, just to see how they react under pressure. But, but the thing about it is, is when you get married, I mean, things change and the loyalties change and, and you can date and you can date for five years. You can date for ten years, but it's not the same as being married. It's not the same. Okay, now, let's continue here, okay? Children need to let go and so do the parents. Uh, few things are more devastating to a marriage than a failure to leave and to cleave. Now, the word joined, the word joined, the Bible says that you are joined together. The word joined means to be glued or bonded. To be glued or bonded together in such a way that you cannot be torn apart because the bond is so strong and so deep that you can't see where one begins and where the other ends. You can't see the beginning and the end because you are glued and bonded together. So the word joined means to be glued. In order to be glued like that, you have to be loyal. You have to have a loyalty, the foundation stone of loyalty. What does true loyalty look like? It's found in verse number 7, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 7. Here's what it looks like. True loyalty bears all things. Loyal even when things are tough, when it, it, it'll all work out. It'll all work out eventually. It'll all work out. you got to be loyal when things are tough. Believeth all things. Loyalty believes in one's mate. Now listen very closely. And loyalty trusts them. Trust them. One of the hardest things, and Dr. John will back me up on this, I'm very sure. One of the hardest things to do is help a couple rebuild trust after moral failure. It's very difficult. Because, because here's, here's the thing. Now, if you've been in a situation, I'll give me a little, little pastoral advice here. If you've been in a situation where one of you has have, uh, experienced a moral failure, if you have forgiven them and received them back, then you no longer have grounds for leaving. Because what you have done is you have said, I have forgiven them. And I, but in the process of all of that, you're going to have to rebuild the trust. You have to rebuild the trust. And so, believeth all things. Loyalty believes in one's mate and it trusts them. Uh, loyalty hopes all things. It never looks for the worst in anyone. It always looks for the best in them. And then loyalty endures all things. In other words, it sticks things out. It doesn't abandon you when things get tough. So that's what the foundation stone of loyalty looks like. It looks like bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things. Now let's talk a little bit about the foundation stone of respect. Now we've had the foundation stone of Christ. We've had the foundation stone of love. We've talked about the foundation stone of loyalty. And now let's talk about the foundation stone of respect. And we're going to look at verses 22 and 24 here and, and get a biblical perspective, perspective of what it is. Mutual respect. Come on, touch your neighbor and say mutual respect. mutual respect. Mutual respect. That means, in case you're wondering, that means respect that goes both ways. Respect that goes both ways. That means I respect Donna and Donna respects me. Mutual respect is fundamental for any marriage that expects a long-term success. You have to respect them and they have to respect you. And you know something? It's a little more difficult... I don't know if it's more difficult, but it's just kind of a different relationship when you got to smell their morning breath every morning. <laughs> because you see them differently than other people will ever see them. That's part of the blessing of marriage. That's part of the blessing of the marital relationship. We have to learn to respect one another even when we don't look or appear or act our best. We have to learn to respect one another. In Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 24, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, God is not establishing the husband as some kind of a dictator in the home, nor is God relegating the wife to a place of servitude. I'm going to say this again. God in this passage of Scripture is not establishing the husband as a home dictator 
and he is not relegating the wife to a place of servanthood or servitude. The word submit here means to arrange under. It doesn't mean to lord over. It means to arrange under. So the husband is not to demand submission from his wife. He is to help her set up their life. I'm going to say this again. He is is not to lord over her. He is to help her set up their life. Now the best way to do that is to work together. Because we realize that God created man and God created woman and He created us each different. I mean, men have different different needs than women. And so, so we've got to learn, what are the needs of my spouse? Well, that seems kind of strange. Well, you're not a woman. It doesn't seem strange to her. Or she might say, well, that's just, just crazy. Well, you're not a man. It doesn't seem strange to him. And so what we have to do is we have to try our best. God help us all. We have to try our best to understand each other. Now let me say this, just to give you guys a little bit of hope here, okay? You're never, ever going to completely understand your wife. You're not. I don't say that in a bad way. I'm going to give you a reason for that. Are you all listening to me? I'm going to give you a reason for that, okay? First of all, men are created categorically. We like our lives just, okay? And I, I did a series on this a couple of years ago. Uh, we, this is my hunting box, okay? This is my work box. This is my home box. And this is my nothing box. We don't mix that stuff up. We don't. We don't talk about our home life when we're at work. Guys just don't do that. That's not how we do it. We don't talk about our home life when we're at work. We don't go hunting and think about, well, I wonder what's going on back at home. No, no, we're, we're, we're wanting to, you know, get the lowdown on a deer. You know, I mean, we're praying, dear God, bring the big buck along. I want to put, mm, hallelujah, praise the Lord, put a bullet through its heart and the meat on the plate. You know, I mean, that's, that's what we're thinking. And guys just, they are simple people. They just don't want life complicated. We're simple. Okay? Gals are different than that. God created you differently. God created your wires to cross. And so that's why you guys can go to work and still talk about home and still talk about shopping and still talk about the movie you're going to go see in three weeks and still all of this and the, and the children and the grandchildren. all this, And so you're, you're thinking about all of these kinds of different things. God made you different. God made you different. Now, here's the beautiful thing about it, okay? You, ladies, can figure us out. But we can't figure you out. And the reason we can't figure you out is by God's design. Because it keeps us, get this, pursuing you. It keeps us pursuing you. It keeps us engaged. Because guys are problem solvers. We're finishers. Okay, that's a nice relationship. Okay, this is what's... Okay, this is the whole entirety of the relationship. Da-da-da, check, da-da-da, check, da-da-da, check, finished. Put it over here. We're done. That's the guy. Okay? Now, the problem is, right about the time we get you figured out, then all of a sudden, there's something else to work on. And it keeps us engaged. God designed it that way. God designed you that way. God designed us that way. God designed us this way. Okay? And so, and so and when the Bible says to submit, when it says, wife, submit to your husband, it's talking about arranging in order underneath so men, we are to help them set up our lives. Now we're supposed to try our best to understand them and what they need and try to meet those needs. And gals, you're supposed to try to understand us and and try to help us. The bottom line is we're supposed to be in this thing together. So the husband is not supposed to demand submission from his wife. He is supposed to live, love, and lead in a way where she offers that freely and lovingly. Now, the Bible says that the wife is to be submitted to her own husband. 
It's not God's will for you to submit to every man that comes along in your life. You are to, the headship of your life is found in your husband as he follows Christ. That's what the scriptures say. So women are not subservient to men. They're equals even in the home. God has invested leadership in the husband and the husband will be held responsible for that leadership. And let me tell you something, husbands. Listen to me very closely. You will be held accountable before God for what happens in your home. One of these days, as the, as the man of your house and the husband of your house, you're going to be talking to God about how you loved your wife, how you took care of your kids, how you took care of your stuff. We are accountable to God for that. God is so invested in the home. He is so interested in the home that He has made the man accountable for that. Now, in verse number 28, the Bible says this, Men should love their wives, even as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. The reason that some wives have a hard time submitting to their husband is because the man is anything but Christ-like in their life. Well, I would follow my husband, but he's just not the leader that he needs to be. Then pray for him. Strengthen him. Help him. Now listen, men. Don't expect, I've said this before, don't expect women to follow you if you're just a parked car. Nobody can follow somebody if they're not going anywhere. And so you've got to step up. You've got to take your role. You have to step up into that place, into that place of being the priest of your home and taking care of your wife, into taking care of the children. Now, the Bible says that the husband is supposed to love the wife even as he loves his own flesh. Now, let's go on here, right here. The Bible says, For no man, verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. This is Ephesians 5, 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. The Bible says that the husbands are to nourish their wives and that they are to cherish their wives. You ask me, how do I lead? This is how you do it. This is how you do it right here. You nourish and you cherish. You love and you lead. In fact, as you are arranging under, as she becomes submitted to you and her life becomes arranged and you together work together to arrange your life, then in that process, then you begin to nourish her and that word nourish there means to bring to maturity. That means that I have the responsibility to help my wife grow in God. That means I have the responsibility to help her become all that she can be. A godly husband will help his wife reach her fullest potential in God. He will help her grow. He will help her by meeting her needs and by being an encouragement to her life. So many marriages fail because the wives or the husbands misinterpret Ephesians chapter 5 where the Bible says wives submit yourself to your husband and they think that that means that they can have a big old stick and walk through life and keep their wife beat into submission. Now listen, you can't do that. You have to bring her to maturity. You have to nourish her. Now the next, the next thing here, the Bible says uh, no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth and then the next thing is and cherisheth it. And that word cherish means to soften with heat. To soften with heat. That means to make her pliable. To give her tender love. You say, well my wife, she's just not... You know, listen, it's your job to make her hot. Come on, some of you ladies holler preach pastor because I'm getting ready to get in your stuff. You're going to really like what I'm getting ready to say. Don't you be grappling and complaining about her not looking nice if you won't ever give her the money to go buy her a little something, something. You know what softens Donna's heart? Diamonds. 
Diamonds, come here, honey. Come here. Come here. I normally wouldn't do this, but come here. Come here. We've been married for 25 years last year. I want you to look at that. 4,500 bucks. <laughs> Dear God, this woman cost me a lot of money. But look what it's done. Look how beautiful she is. Look how gorgeous she is. You know, don't, listen. Don't make her buy her own Mary Kay. Give her the money. You want her to look great? Come on, Melissa, stand up and shout, Amen, preacher. Come on. She's a dealer, a Mary Kay dealer. That's right. Melissa, stand up. If you need Mary Kay, God, this is the gal right here, right there. You get it from her. Where else are you going to go and get an advertisement from the pulpit like that? But you soften her with heat. You soften her up. That means you take care of her. Don't be griping about her not looking good if you won't give her the money to go fix her hair. So what if she wants it a different color? Somebody asked me once, what color is your wife's hair? I said, it depends on what year and what time of the year because it's been about 14 different colors since we've been married and I love them all. I love them all. Don't be griping about her not looking hot. Don't be griping about her not looking nice if you won't give her the money to go get a massage every now and then. I told you ladies you're going to like this part. All right? Give her the money to go with her girlfriends down to the mall and go walk through the mall and act like they're something, something. Go give her the money to do that. You know what? I used to tell Donna when we were younger, I don't do it anymore. I probably kind of outgrew it. I don't know. But I used to drop her off and let her walk in by herself and she told me, she said, how come you drop me off and let me walk in by yourself? I said, because I get to watch everybody look at you. And I think, she's mine, baby. She's mine. No, you got to give them the money to take care of themselves. I'm honoring. I know, I'm honoring. Stay right here just so I don't get in trouble, okay? All right. So the husband is to give tender love to his spouse. Now, she, she needs hugs, she needs kisses, she needs love, she needs attention, 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 attention. To soften with heat, this is the primary want and need of most women. They need to feel loved and they crave special attention. They crave special attention. Listen, you can buy us a gun and we're happy. Or a four-wheeler and we're happy. You know what? except for the diamonds and stuff like that, really what they're more in, uh, interested in, in, in than anything is this. She's putty right now. <laughs> so they need to feel loved. They crave special attention. They need time, right? I've not always been real good with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> she knows. But they need time. I mean, there came, there came a time in our, in our life when I had to start telling people no because I was becoming so marriage-minded or so ministry-minded, I was no marriage good. And it created major problems. And you know something? I love you dearly, and I'm honored to be your pastor, but this right here is my number one priority. Amen. And you know what? If, I have to, if it comes down to telling you no so I can tell her yes, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to tell her yes. Okay? So they need time, they need attention, and they need a sense of security. Men, get a job. Pay the bills. Get two of them if you need to. Get three of them if you need to. Make sure that mama has what she needs. Make sure she has what she needs. Make sure she has a good place to live. Make sure that there's food in the refrigerator and in the cupboards. All of us hit tough times. I understand that. All of us hit, hit tough times. And we're supposed to go through those tough times together. But the number one goal of every single man should be, first of all, to make sure their relationship with God is right and then take care of their little wife. That's what they need to do. Stay right here. First, first Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. <laughs> when I read that, I thought, God, you're trying to be funny. According to knowledge, really? And then it goes on. It says, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, 
that your prayers be not hindered. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to share with you out of this scripture, and then we'll be through. So, if Rob, Robin, if you'll come. When the Bible says the weaker vessel, it's not talking about the inferior vessel or the weak, physically weak vessel. This refers to a vessel that is delicate and of immense value. Delicate and of immense value. When it says the weaker vessel, that's what it's talking about. When God gives you a wife, men, when God gives you a wife, He gives you something of extreme value that is delicate. Delicate. Here's what the Bible says. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. How many times do you think she has reminded me that God's favor is on you because of me? And she's biblically right. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. Now let me tell you, let me say this, men, listen to me. The better you treat her, the more favor you get. I said, come on, ladies, help me out here. I feel like I'm sinking. The better you treat her, the more favor you get. Now, how do you know? Because the better you treat her, the stronger are the bonds of unity. And Psalms chapter 133 says, in the place of unity is where God commands His blessing, even life forevermore. And so if I want the blessing of God in my life, and I want the blessing of God in my, in my family, then I'm going to have to bless my wife. I'm going to have to treat her like she's the treasure that God has given me, that she's delicate, that she's of immense value, and I'm going to handle handle her with love and tender care. And then the Bible says in this same scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7, that we are heirs together of the grace of life. That means we are the recipient of what this invested relationship that God has ordained and God has blessed. We are recipients of everything that it, that, that it can produce. That means when I become wealthy, that's not me wealthy, that's we wealthy. That means when our relationship becomes healthy, that's not me healthy, that's we healthy. When you give your life to another person... At the altar of holy matrimony, you give up the rights to I and the life becomes we. And you're in it together. And then the Bible says this, that your prayers be not hindered. If you think you're going to fight with your wife all day long. Why am I preaching to the men? Because we need it. If you think you're going to fight with your wife all day long, and then go to God in prayer that night, and He's going to pay a whole lot of attention to you, you got another thing coming. Now the Bible didn't say that God wouldn't hear them. It said the prayers would be hindered. I was 26 years old. It was our first church, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. God had given us some success. We'd sold the little storefront and bought a church and a parsonage and everything. During that time of my life, Nikki and Susie were a little tiny. Jeremiah was born while we were there at, Cape, at the Cape Girardeau Church of God. I was also in Bible college. So I was going to Bible college, pastoring the church, driving a school bus, uh, trying, to, trying to make ends meet. Small church. And Donna and I, we had moved from five and a half hours away from her mom and dad. She had never lived away from her mom and dad her entire life. She's an only child. I couldn't understand the, the struggle that she was going through be, because I had been on my own for four and a half, five years before we got married, traveling around Canada and the different parts of the states and down in Mexico doing mission trips and everything. And many times I'd be gone by myself for maybe three months at a time before I would come home for about a week and then go do it again. And so I had grown accustomed to just being away from those that I loved and just I was just so wrapped up in the Lord and whatnot. And uh, so... When we moved to Cape Girardeau, it was very difficult for me 
to understand why she was having such a hard time just not wanting to go there and work for God. I mean, oh, so your parents are five and a half hours away. So what? We can get in the car and go see them. The problem was they weren't just across town. They were five and a half hours away. It was very difficult. So during those years that we were there, there was a, a lot of um, UFOs in the parsonage, you know, unidentified <laughs> flying objects. I mean, it was just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing about that. But what I'm, say, but what I'm saying is there were. There were insults hurled. There were harsh things said. There were difficult things. And we were having a very, very difficult, you know, I can't help you if I can't be transparent, right? So we were having a very difficult time. And so we, at one particular time, we were just having war. I mean, we were having war. I'm like, how, how dare you talk to a man of God like that? And she's like, take out the trash. You know, you're nobody. You're, you're my husband. You're not my, you know, and all this kind of, and so we, all this kind of stuff going on. And um, so we had just had a war. I can't remember what it was about. It's something stupid like most of them are. But it was stupid. And so I said, I'm going to the church to pray. So I stomped out the front door and I stomped across the sidewalk and I stomped into the church and got up in my office and looked at the couple of degrees that I had just gotten working on a few more and looked at my ordination on the wall and I thought, "Uh uh-huh, you know. And I kneeled down and I begged, oh God. And God said, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. He said, go apologize to your wife. I said, what? I bind that in the name of Jesus. Devil, I come against you in Jesus' name. I take authority over you. God said, go apologize to your wife. I said, this is you, isn't it, God? He said, yeah. I said, but God, she's wrong. Not me. She's the one that's wrong. He said, go apologize to your wife. So, you know, I love God more than I want war. And so I said, okay. So I got up, walked back over there. She knew what was happening. It happened before. She knew what was happening. She was just waiting, you know. I walk in. She's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I telling the truth? Uh-huh. I'm make sure I'm getting this right here. I don't want to pay for it later. She said, you got to apologize, don't you? I said, I wasn't wrong. That don't sound like an apology to me. I think her and God were in cahoots, man. I mean, they were, they were trying to bring Johnny down. I'm telling you, they were. And so I told her, I said, yes, honey. I said, I, you know what? I said, um, you know, the way I've handled this is really wrong and it's not right and all this kind of stuff. And she said, okay. And um, she said, I forgive you. And then, um, you know, we had a little conversation, things like that. Then I went back to the church, kneeled back down in the same place. I said, God, how was that? <laughs> and it's like I heard him say, boy, boy." See, here's the thing. You have to love your spouse more than you want a war. And even if you're right, sometimes it's better to be all in at 100% towards peace. No matter. No matter. Now I think today that I have spoken into the areas of some people's lives where you're living right now. There are foundation stones. There are wounds in this house right now that have not healed because the foundation stone, say for instance, of loyalty has been shattered. You're single today because of the issues of trust or mistrust that you have because of the wreckage of a horrible relationship in the past. Can I tell you, He makes all things new. He never promised 
that life would be easy and grand. He never promised that when you got married, that your marriage would be like honey for the rest of your life. He didn't promise that. But He promised to be with you and to help you and to heal you where you hurt. It all begins with letting Him be the foundation stone of your life. You cannot authentically offer yourself. Listen to me, single people. You cannot authentically offer yourself to a spouse, a potential spouse, if your foundation is wrong. Because what you're doing is offering a mess. I want to encourage you today. If you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life, that's where it all begins. Now, let me take that just a little bit further, okay? Are you okay? Can you just stand right there? Okay. All right. I want to take that that a little bit further. If you have not made Jesus the foundation stone of your marriage, I want to encourage you today to make that adjustment today. I know that I've touched on a lot of things. There's probably not one person in this place today that hasn't been hit somewhere in this message. I've been hit in a dozen places, just being honest. He doesn't show us how to live to condemn us. He shows us how to live to heal us. It's like leadership. As a leader, God doesn't expose the faults of those that are working with you to you for you to find fault with them. He exposes those faults to you so you can lovingly lead them out of it and help them grow into maturity. And that's the same way it is with messages like this. God brings things to the surface. He exposes things that are in our lives so we can deal with them so we can become better people, so we can become a better, in this particular instance, spouse, a better husband, a better wife, or prepare ourselves to be a better husband and a better wife for that person that God would bring into our life. So my encouragement to you today, we're getting ready to pray, but my encouragement with you today is first of all, let Him be the cornerstone of your relationship. Anytime something goes wrong, run back to Jesus. Don't run off and tell somebody else. Don't get yourself a posse posse of other friends who are plagued by broken relationships themselves that are trying to give you valuable advice when their relationship history doesn't say they know how to make things work. Run to the fix-it man. Run to Jesus. Let Him work on your relationship. The areas in your life where where problems with love has been exposed, just go to Him today and say, Lord, I repent in those areas. Repent doesn't mean crying tears. Repent means to turn and go in a different direction. In other words, Lord, I'm going to adjust my life to line up with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. I want my love toward my spouse to look like this, God. Help me, God. Help me, God. And we're loyalty has been broken, there's healing. There's help. There's wholeness. There's wholeness. I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say this right now. The reason that some of you, and not all, but this is what I feel the Holy Spirit saying, the reason that some of you are single right now is because you are not healed from the pain of a previous relationship. And you need to concentrate on becoming the person that you need to become before God can bring. You say, well, I've got to find someone. Let God find them for you. Don't try to find someone. Let God find them for you. I was praying here not too long ago for one of my children, and I said, Lord, help them find the right person 
And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's, I'm, I'm going to embarrass them. I'm sorry, babies. But that's your daughter. It's not her job to find the right person. It's his job to find her. So you pray for him. So from that day until this, I have prayed for whoever my two son-in-laws will be. Lord, would you please bless them? Would you grow them? Would you give them favor? Would you prepare their hearts and prepare the hearts of my daughters, Lord, and my son, Lord. Prepare their hearts so they can become the person that meets the needs of that person that you're bringing into their life. Now, here's what I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say about this, okay? Allow God to heal you so when God brings the right person into your life, you can offer to them the whole you, not the broken you. The whole you. So let's change, those of you that are single, change your focus from finding the right person to becoming the right person. Healthy, whole, and healed. The foundation stone of respect. Some of you have been disrespected. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. You've cried bitter tears. Listen, God has someone who will adore you, who will love you, who will respect you, who will see your value. Let God heal you from the disrespect. Let Him heal you from that. Okay? Let's just stand. Come on, let's just stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.